Good to be back with you. Hope you have a copy of the outline, and let's jump right into our study. We've been, our series has been on, really on God, on our God is an awesome God. And the series that I actually put together, I recently preached in Charlottesville because we were having people that were coming to our services from our meetup that really were learning to worship for the first time. And I wanted to give them some ideas of the motivation of why we worship. And I've had a few of our people that were saying, you know, I really, I, I, I have a hard time singing. I find, don't find singing interesting. And so I did some of these lessons. And by the way, the one that said that asked for a songbook to be taken home. And so they're going to try to work on that and develop it. And so that was the thrust behind this series. And this is another one that I did uh, because it's very interesting. I don't know why this is so, but in the religious world, people rarely observe, at least within the Protestant world, if we talk about that realm, they rarely have the Lord's Supper on the first day of every week, which I find that's interesting. I'm surprised at that, but I wanted to, there's people that have have been with us that the Lord's Supper was an unusual thing. So why do we partake of the Lord's Supper? I've titled my lesson, Remember Me, Understanding the Significance of the Lord's Supper. Again, as a review, we've already talked about this verse several times. Jesus is seeking worshipers. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And so what we're doing here today, because Jesus is our King, we take the words that were delivered very carefully, and we take everything that God says on a subject, and we try to follow that very carefully, because we want to honor God. But it's interesting as you talk about the Lord's Supper as an example, there's powerful truths behind this. As we look into the heart of God, which has been our theme, the theme in this series is knowing God, understanding the awesome power of God, His love, what He thinks of us. And whenever God tells us He's seeking something, God seeks true worshipers. I want to be that. Could I tell you worship is work? Worship is a gift to God that ought to be great, but to give a good gift, it costs you something. You have to learn to worship. And I was telling our new people, look, if you're struggling with worship, that's okay because it's a learned taste. It's something you grow in. It's something that maybe it's just not natural to you. Now, many of you who are raised by Christians... You, you were taught worship from an early age, and so we always say, yeah, it means something to us, but could you imagine somebody who's never worshipped? And they come into an assembly, and they're going like, wow, this is, you don't have the entertainment professionals, and you don't have the instruments, and you don't have these things, and you know, my attention span is short, and this is something i got to learn to like, and you can do it. And that was the thrust of this and other lessons. What does God want? So here's a few questions I've raised. Do I really enjoy worship? And if you say no, that's okay. We want you to come to joy worship. So you got some work to do. Do I need additional teaching about worship? Did you know that disciples, they thought they knew something about worship until they lived with Jesus? And then after seeing Jesus pray, uh, would you teach us how to pray? You know, sometimes you may have to say, hey, Larry, I need some help. Or, brother, I need some help. I, I want to learn how to worship. I, I want to develop a better worship. Do I have a real desire to be in God's presence? And that's sort of the foundation 
that we've been talking about in this entire series. Know who God is. Understand His presence. I'm not talking about some magnetic field or some feeling. We're talking about thoughts. We're talking about meditating upon God. And so as I've already mentioned, the early disciples, they said, you know, Lord, teach us to pray. Now notice this, as John also taught his disciples. So teaching about worship is a natural thing. But one more time, If we regularly meditate upon who God is, what He has done, and there's so much in Scripture, the Psalms, this will help us worship, knowing the character of God. Here's just one of many Psalms you can be looking at. Psalms 86.10 For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Uh, unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered me from the depths of Sheol. Here is the heart that we can build. And it's, it's great to do this. Sometimes just have prayers to God where you just do nothing but talk about how great God is, His attributes. Sometimes have a prayer, just have thankfulness. Lord, You've done this for me. You've provided this. You've provided this. This is how you begin learning to worship. It always starts in private. I was talking to Brian. I said the series that we're doing, if some people from another place look at it and say, oh, Larry's just going to be talking about the assembly. Well, you had have missed the point if that's you thought what I was doing. It's very different, isn't it? If you look at the titles and what we're actually doing, you know, it's all about God. It's all about knowing Him. And, and, of course, that's the essence of worship is seeing the unseen. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. By the way, that's for the rest of our life. We want to diligently seek Him for the rest of our lives. And so again, I think I've made the point about worship. So now let's just take ourselves back in time. Let us become one of the disciples of Jesus in His ministry. And I had the disciples love Jesus. They didn't always understand Jesus. And they didn't understand Jesus, particularly in the last week of His life, over and over again. He says, I'm going to die. And in three days, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And it goes right over their heads. They didn't get it because they probably thought, I know this is the Son of God and you can't kill God. It can't be done. Well, if they had listened to Jesus, Jesus would have said, no, this is the plan. But they didn't get that. And then to be there when that Last Supper was introduced, listen to this carefully. If you are here and you love the Lord, And maybe you've hardly ever taken the Lord's Supper. Listen to this verse. Luke 22, 15. Then He said to them, here's Jesus speaking, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now if you know the context, The Passover was for Jews to remember the leaving of of Egypt. But this was not the reason why Jesus fervently desired for this Passover. In this Passover, He was going to introduce something for our age. And that was 
the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not the Passover. It was introduced in the Passover. But get this. Jesus fervently desired it. If my Lord fervently desired it, buddy, I'm going to tell you something. This is going to be of high importance to me. And it's going to be fulfilled in the kingdom of God, which is right now. And so as we talk about this, and we talk about the heart of God, this is very important. Some groups treat this very trivially, but I'm not going to try to focus on other groups. I'm going to focus on God's. When Jesus places the greatest importance on this, I'm going to take it seriously. Do you remember King David at the time when his son Absalom had rebelled? And he was being pursued by everybody. But he got stabbed in the back by his brethren, by different cities. He would protect the city and they'd stab him in the back. He had his mighty men. Are you familiar with the mighty men of David? They were rejects. But they were men who loved David. And they had faith in God. And David was very frustrated that the Philistines had taken over his homeland, his, his boyhood place. And look at this, 2 Samuel 23, 15. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Now, David wasn't serious. But you know what this mighty man did? His mighty man loved David. And he says, you know, I want a drink of water from Bethlehem. And you know what his mighty man did? All they, David said, I want you to go get it. No, he didn't say that. He just said, oh, I wished I had it. That's all they need to know. We love David. My David wants to have this. Now notice, 16, so his three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. And David is just like, you're like, oh. He says, nevertheless, he would not drink it, but he poured it out to the Lord. He says, you just given me a gift that's of great value, and I'm going to give it to God. Do you get my point? When Jesus fervently desired to have the Lord's Supper and it was going to be fulfilled in the kingdom, what we did this morning was something Jesus fervently desired. And He not only just said that, He commanded it. But all we need to know, if we love the Lord, Lord fervently desires this. Do you know the Lord actually was with us today? So again, if you get nothing else but this, you got the lesson. <laughs> like I say, I give you the, the major point in the beginning. And so, uh, verse 17, David says, And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. And so, why do we partake of the Lord's Supper? My brethren... It's not a mechanical thing. It's not like putting a key in the door and turning the key and opening the door. The Lord's Supper done properly gives us a stronger love for Jesus. In Luke 22 and verse 17, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, He says, Then He took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Did you know when this first was instituted, they didn't understand it? They didn't think Jesus could be killed. 
<laughs> they were surprised when he was taken prisoner. And they, but guess what? After the crucifixion occurred, they looked back at this and they go, Oh, could you imagine the passion from which the apostles took the Lord's Supper after that? Those they were there that day. Here's the one that I love. Here's the one, and appreciate very much, uh, Brian, your scriptures that were read. You brought us back to the cross. It is shocking to think of the leaders of God's people slapping at Jesus and spitting in His face. But you know what? He loved us that much. And so the Lord's Supper is a powerful tool when done properly. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. The one thing we need to remember, brethren, and you've already heard me talk about this a lot, we need to remember that we've been forgiven. We need to remember from what we were delivered. We need to remember with passion the great gift that God gave us. It changes our view of everything. God can forgive me. You know why? Because Jesus became the sacrifice for me. In Hebrews 9.22, the Bible says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 18, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. How does a sacrifice work? You know what the penalty of sin is? It's death. You know what kind of death this is? That's separation from God. And Jesus talked in His ministry, if you die in your sins, you can't come where I am. He says, I'll leave you. You're going to die in your sins. Don't let you or I ever be said of us that we die in our sins. God's perfect. He must punish every sin that's ever been committed. Well, then how can we be forgiven? We needed a sacrifice. Jesus' blood was shed that we might be forgiven. Let us never, ever, ever, ever forget that. And we read, you know, there's some people that Peter talks about that's forgotten they've been forgiven. They've been forgotten they've been cleansed from their old sins. We've got to remember this reality which changes how we view everything. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so... The cross, remembering the cross, helps us to remember why we are in Christ, why we are born again of water and the Spirit. It is in the cross we understand that, and as we've, we've studied how one, as they respond to the teaching of God, initially they are, they are as a repentance, and coming out of repentance, they're baptized into Christ. They, they receive this form of doctrine. They are forgiven. They are cleansed. The entire past of the sin has been removed. But God, they think that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set, set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Romans 6, 3 says we were baptized into Christ. And so, worship. What does God require of us? He gave His Son. I couldn't take care of my own sin. God has provided for us and given us so many gifts. What can I give God in return? I'm nothing. I come in my hands with nothing. You're God. I'm Creator. God, what do you want? And the interesting thing that what God wants, and we've talked about this over and over and over again, He wants our hearts. 
You mean my thoughts, my hearts, really? I, that's God says, yes, I desire that. You desire it. When we come in worship, we are praying to God, Lord, thank you. Lord, you are great. Lord, here I am. Help me. I need you. Lord, I want to be with you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Now, I am going to talk about some mechanical things. The Lord's Supper is not mechanical, but it is a physical thing. And because I respect God, there is a way to observe it, and there's a wrong way to observe it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, uh, th- this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. And verse 25 says, In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Verse 27 says, Therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So let's first off say this. Don't take this lightly. It's not a game. It's not something you do and you're thinking about something else. Some people say, you know, I can't partake of the Lord's Supper this week because I sinned and I was weak this week and I can't partake of the Lord's Supper. I don't want to do it in an unworthy manner. You're misunderstanding the verse. Now let me say this. You need to come into worship with a penitent heart. Now if you're walking in sin and you're not going to let go of that sin, then all worship is going to be an abomination and you need to, you need to repent. You can do that right now. But it's not saying that I've been weak, therefore I can't protect. No, no, we come into worship with a penitent heart. I don't care what we've done during the week. If we turn to God and we have the forgiveness of sins, then we need to get... But the idea of the unworthy manner is that we're distracted. We're not putting ourselves into it. Our bodies are here, but our mind is somewhere else. And listen to this. You treat this trivially... You can be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. The Lord's Supper is significant. It is meaningful, but it is never trivial. And by the way, you can treat it by being, in being trivial by ignoring the first day of the week altogether and go, go on your camping trip or do something else and ignore observing the Lord's Supper. Again, again, God wants our hearts. And He doesn't want us dragging our bodies into an assembly and going through outward motions that was the same problem in the book of Malachi. But God says, I want you to close doors. This is not what I want. I want your heart, but give me your heart. Now sometimes in my relationship to a vet, sometimes we're in a conversation and I'm not there. <laughs> you know? Yeah, okay, I see the husband's all grinning. Have you been there? Yeah. I'm not there. Are you listening to me? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. It's a, now what I've learned to do is I can quote the last few sentences to her, so sometimes that gets me by, you know, but, uh, but, but the idea here, you know, and she, and I appreciate this. Sometimes, you know, our son's on the phone, and you know, he's probably scrolling his phone or something like that. And you, you talk to him, and then there's this delay, and then he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't like somebody pretending to talk to us. God wants us in worship to put our heart into it, and brethren, it takes effort. But not just effort. When we really love God, 
it's a natural thing to do. And so again, I think that's so important. Um, I, I want to have a sincere heart. And so again, I think we've made all these points here. One more time, Malachi 1. Brethren, if I am bored, I recognize there's a sense where you can do that sincerely and say, Lord, I don't want to be bored. Help me learn to worship. Now, there's a sense, though, some people say, I've been in church a long time. I know the Bible. I know what to do. I can answer the questions. And we want to be indifferent. That's different. In Malachi 1.6, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I them am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to the priest who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offered defiled food on my altar, but saying, in what way have we oft defiled you? By saying the table, Lord, is contemptible. Worship's boring. If you're a Christian, and you say worship's boring, I appreciate the honesty, but you need to be converted. You need to change your heart. And you can do it. But tell me, some of those hard-hearted people I know have been in the church for years and they have allowed their worship to go away and they become miserable. And what God said in the book of Malachi, who is there even among you who had shut the doors? Shut it down. It's not doing you any good. But again, I trust you're not that way. There's a verse I want to present show you. And I think really deals with the idea of the heart of the one who remembers God. Malachi 3.16. Listen to this. This is God saying, I'm going to tell you who are precious to me. I want to tell you the kind of heart that I love and I'll never forget those people. I'm going to protect those people. They're my jewels. Listen, this is God speaking. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before Him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on His name. They shall be mine. This is God speaking. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I will make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. God wants our thoughts. I want to tell you they're precious to him. That blows my mind. But if you want to give something back to God, learn to worship. And it's not just in the assembly. You know how you learn to worship in the assembly? By your home practice. And so again, if you get nothing else, that's my lesson. So I would say we can stop right here and we can be done with it. But let's talk a little bit about some other questions. I'll never forget visiting the Lord's church for the first time. I at that time was raised in a very big denomination. It was the Baptist church. I had a really good experience in the Baptist church. I uh, attended Sanford University and a math scholarship, but I studied under some Baptist teachers there. But one of the things that I had never done in my life was partake of the Lord's Supper. And I've oftentimes wondered why that was so. 
And maybe the church, there's some churches do it once a year. Sometimes they would do it once a quarter. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't there when they did that. But I never partook of it. And I remember coming into an assembly for the Lord's Supper for the first time. I'll never forget that day when I visited the church. I came a little bit late for Bible class because I was a little nervous. I was going to someplace new. And there was a student that came in late. And you know what he did? He found that I was a visitor. He says, look, come to class with me. And he sat with me in class. And then when he came into the assembly, you know what he did? I know he had probably a girlfriend or somebody else that he wanted to be with. He sat with me in that assembly. And I can remember the Lord's Supper being passed for the first time like, what do I do? <laughs> you know, what is this? You know, and so, but you know, the reason why the Lord's Supper is done on the first day of the week, it's just not a matter of an opinion. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty, we read in the context that the Lord's Supper is to be done in the assembly of a local church. It says, therefore, when you come together into one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. What happened? They had brought in something else. When God said, do this, we just do that. You don't bring in a common meal. You don't do much other things. This is the idea of authority here. If you change the Lord's Supper to something else, it's not. But the Lord's Supper should be in the assembly. And that's the point we would get from this. Now, some people will say, well, well, Larry, Jesus said this often as you remember it. So we can just choose the day we remember it. Look at the, all the scriptures on this. I can still remember when I was attending Sanford University. I was very zealous about studying God's Word. And I can remember I was driving home to go eat my mama's cooking. And I heard a preacher, W.A. Harley from the Mocha Church of Christ. He was preaching on the radio. And I had this question like, well, you know, here we talk about the Lord's Supper. I don't ever remember partaking of it. 1 Corinthians 16.2, he began to cover some verses. Look at the verses that talk about the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16.2 talks about the contribution. By the way, on the first day of the week was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. It says, on the first day of every week, let each of you put aside and save that he may prosper, that there are no collections be made when I come. Did you know in the Baptist church we had to have a collection the first day of every week? Well, it didn't talk about Lord's Supper here. It's true, it doesn't. But notice the first day of every week. They assembled on the first day of every week. And then I begin, the preacher began to say, I want to show you a verse that shows us how often to take the Lord's Supper. And I can remember I was driving the car and I didn't have an iPhone then, but I had a pencil and paper and I was driving my car. I want to write down these verses. I want to see, you know, if there's some indications of how often to partake of the Lord's Supper. And so he was talking about this verse. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. Now notice, he came, came from Philippi and it says, and they came to Troas and we joined them at Troas and we stayed seven days. They came for five days, but they waited for seven. Why did they go on their trip? They were waiting for the first day of the week. Well, what happened on the first day of the week? Well, I know people were gathering together. I know in that special contribution, they were given the, the, they were given on the first day of every week, verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Well, it doesn't say the first day of every week. It doesn't say that I command you to do it on the first day of every week. You know what God does? He gives us an example. Here, it's done on the first day of the week. Well, Christians are meeting on the first day of every week. They're doing things on the first day of every week. Well, why wouldn't I just do it on the first day of every week? You may say, well, Larry, you need more evidence of that. Do I? Do you know how we keep the Lord's Supper? We have the just the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. Why do we add other things? Did you know that we're given an example? 
We're given an example in 1 Corinthians 11. He's basically going back, here's how the Lord did it with His disciples, and I'm going to deliver this to you. Now, how do you do it? Well, let's add a common meal. No, 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 it's not in there. I have an example of the first day of the week where the disciples broke bread. And you know, my conclusion would be from this, and again, you may say, is this a necessary conclusion? I say it's a weighty conclusion. If the early disciples broke bread on the first day of the week, and I see the emphasis on that week, then I'm going to take the Lord's Supper the first day of every week. We can debate that, we can talk about that, but I'll never forget that when I was driving home that day of like, I think I ought to do it on the first day of every week. Now, I want to tell you what a sincere mind does that hasn't thought through the Scripture. Okay, What I did was not the Lord's Supper, but I can remember that day. Well, since the church I'm at doesn't do it, I'm going to pretend my mother's cooking is the Lord's Supper. So that's not the Lord's Supper. But again, that's what a sincere heart is trying to grasp for truth does. And I, this teaching eventually led me to visit a church in Tuscaloosa, so I'm, there, there's some chronology here. But it was interesting. Why? I, I'm really question. Why do not more churches have the Lord's Supper on the first day of every week? I, I, yeah, I, that that bothers me. All right. Final point, then we'll try to wrap up this lesson this morning because this is a simple lesson. Proper worship changes us, brethren. Have each of us been to the cross today? Thank you, Brian. I watched the high priest. Try to bring false witnesses against Jesus. I saw him where he tore his robe today and then people slapped and spit upon Jesus. Just who being slapped and spit upon, they condemned him to death. Here, they just condemned him to death. That ought to be enough. They wouldn't stop there. They showed an extreme hatred. If we've been to the cross today, we can say, I've been there. I've just witnessed my Lord die. Do you know worship done properly? It doesn't leave us untouched. And when worship is done on a daily basis. You see, our whole life is to be, in a sense, our bodies offered as worship. Now, I recognize there's a specific type of worship. There's a generic concept. I'm not saying everything we do is worship in the sense of what we do in the assembly. But there is a sense where we always place ourselves before God. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. When I worship, I renew my mind. When I worship, I learn to think. I get my thoughts where they ought to be. Um, there's one more point, and then I'm, I'm going along here. I'm just going to go ahead and move along. I want to give us to go back to 1 Corinthians 11, and we've read the whole context today. I think I've made the other point. Here's one thing I want to be, be, be emphasized. I think I talked about it earlier, but let's, let's talk about this one. Worship has got to be from the heart. I just talked about why are churches doing things or not doing things. And I can't judge the hearts of all these men, but I do know what Jesus says, why sometimes people change worship to become man-centered rather than God-centered? You know why worship is not interesting? If worship is not interesting to me, it's because of me. I don't need to change the performers. I don't need to change the will of God. I don't need to inject a bunch of carnal stuff in there to keep my attention. I need to change me. Matthew 15, 8. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's my job. 
Now, guess what? If your heart's far from them and you want to make worship, you know, still to the something you like, guess what you end up doing? Verse 9, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. One more time. If you want to stay faithful to God and not drift away, I want to suggest to you how you worship, how you prepare for worship is critical. Here's the verse I want you to see right here. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 28. Well, let me go backwards here. I've got to get this. All right. Let me see. I've gone too far. Here I've had this PowerPoint a little different, but I appreciate, Brian, your work on this. This has got a little different mechanics here. 1 Corinthians 11 28. Here's what I want to talk about. Sometimes Christians fall away. You've seen that. I mean, eight, nine years ago, there's a whole lot more folk here. Different people. Not, not more folk, but different folk. Are some of them still in the area? I would think so. Why is it that at a given service just like this, you've got people that are here and they're involved and then later they don't have any interest at all? Almost without exception, somewhere along the line they started to neglect their worship. Have you ever heard a preacher sometimes? Again, I don't want us to be too harsh of judging preachers. But sometimes you can hear a man that has had a lot of ability and experience, but you can almost hear it and say, I think he stopped studying. Sometimes you can see that where somebody, you know, they're just going back on their past. You know what happens when we stop worshiping? I remember Harold Comer years ago giving an illustration. Let's suppose you get a brand new car and you decide to do no maintenance on it. You don't change the oil. You don't check the tire pressure. You don't rotate the tires. You just put gas in it. How far can you go on that? Well, it's a new car. You can go a long ways, can't you? But eventually what starts happening? You know, the tires may wear out. Of course, you may end up having the engine lock up because the oil has gone out of it. You know what? You can have a tire blow out. And you know what? You can keep driving. Starts shaking. Other tires blow out. And you got the rims. <laughs> Tearing up the, the tearing up the pavement, and eventually you'll make that car a piece of junk. That's what neglect of worship is like. First Corinthians eleven twenty eight. But let a man examine himself, and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body. Now look at verse 30. For this reason many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. I've said one more time and I'll say it over and over again. Start with thankfulness. And when you get thankful to God and recognize what He does, worship will come. But if you're just kind of hanging in there, gritting your teeth and you're just getting through it, you're running your car, so to speak, without maintenance. And eventually, you may destroy it. And so, that is, that's really the essence of my lesson. I want to give you one more verse, Matthew 26, 29, as I think I've covered everything else here already. But in first, in Matthew 26, 29, right here, this is the verse. One more time. The Lord has been with us today. Think about that. He says, with fervent desire, 
I desire to do this with the disciples. But he says, I'm going to do it in you in the kingdom. And you know what? He's had the same fervent desire to be with us today as he has been with us. Think about it. I want to worship God in every aspect of what he says, but the Lord's Supper is that one thing that he particularly instituted and asked us to make it important to him. Matthew 26, 29, But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's not a man who loves the Lord that would not be seeking to have the Lord's Supper on the first day of every week when they understand His teaching. It's He was passionate about it, and I am. And brethren, we are not worthy. I'm not going to say, hey, look at me. I partook of the Lord's Supper. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying that the Lord has great blessing in it for us. He desires fellowship with us. And I'll thank God, Lord, you want to do something with me? You want my thoughts? You want my heart? You want my association? Thank you, Lord. Our God is an awesome God. And so I hope as we've gone this far in this series, you see the point. All right, uh, invitation to be extended. Uh, I think we've said so much about the death of Jesus. We talked about being baptized into Christ. You know, the key is repentance. We urge everyone here, if we're not where our heart ought to be, let's repent right now. You don't have to come forward to do that. You can do that right now before God. Make sure let's repent. Then if, for those who would love to be baptized into Christ, this could be an opportunity for your expression to want to do that. But I more and more, because in my, my assemblies we're mainly talking with Christians, let the invitation always be to us to put ourselves before God and say, Lord, what's the next step for me? And the Lord will always bless such a heart. We all have more steps to take. I am so glad. Our God loves us. He really cares about each of us. And that makes every day a good day. <laughs> Let's make sure we're right with Him. Invitation is extended. Would you come as we stand?